Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is Sunday, June 20th, 2021, and we'd like to say happy Father's Day to everyone. And more importantly, we're going to get to celebrate the goodness of our Heavenly Father today. Our Heavenly Father is faithful. That's what his encouragement to us this morning has been. In him, there are no shifting of shadows. There's no turning. There's no promises that are made that he cannot keep. He is able to impart to his sons the strength, the security, and the growth that are the very indicators, the very signs, the very marks of his kingdom. And that's what he's going to do in our midst today. Are y'all ready? Ready for a great day. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12, and we are going to read verse 32. Say there whenever you get there. Luke 12, 32 says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. The faithful, unchanging, unmoving father that we have, he delights or is pleased to give his children the kingdom. Well, let's put this in its truest context. Who is he speaking of in this passage? If we're sitting there in the day and in the time that this is spoken by Jesus, he's speaking to the firstborn son. He's speaking to Israel, the nation of Israel. That it is the Father's pleasure, delight to give them the kingdom. But there's a mystery, a mystery that has been unraveling and seen plainly for what it is. The mystery is that us Gentiles get to participate with Israel. We are co-heirs alongside Israel, just as Ephesians 3 verse 6 says. And the overall attitude... And desire of the Father is that he delights to give his children his kingdom. Yeah. It's what he is looking forward to since day one. Speaking of his firstborn son, Israel, let's all turn to Exodus chapter 34 to see the kingdom that's being established on this earth with his people and beginning with his people. As you're turning there, we want to remind you the context of Ezekiel, I'm sorry, of Exodus 34. Exodus in the Torah. Exodus 34. Exodus 34 is telling the truth of Moses, taking the tablets that he has re-chiseled out back up the mountain so that God could re-inscribe the tablets of his word, of his law. He's going back up the mountain, and we're catching in Exodus 34 this entire part of the story. This is where the Lord... The Lord, the Lord is declaring who he is in a very fatherly kind of way. He's saying, I am a gracious and a compassionate God. I'm, a, I'm slow to anger. I'm abounding in love and faithfulness. I'm maintaining love and I'm able to forgive wickedness and rebellion and sin. This is what's going on right before we enter into this passage that we're going to read together. As the reality of God's presence is settling in on Moses, as Moses is actually there in the presence of God, he is going to go on and God is telling Moses something that we want to pick up in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 10. Are you there, church? Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never seen before in any nation in all the world. The people you are living among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Here in verse 10 of Exodus 34 begins with God declaring, I am making a covenant. I am cutting a covenant. And this is occurring after the rebellion of the golden calf, after the first tablets were broken, after all the rebellious, stiff-necked, and stubborn behavior of his firstborn son. God then tells Moses in the next verse there, in the next sentence, before all your people, before the, the people of God, before the Israelites, I'm going to do wonders that you've never seen before. Church, we want to remind you that this was after he already brought them out of Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> 
What he will do is better than even him bringing him out of Egypt. And that was incredible. That was miraculous. That was supernatural. That was something worthy of looking back on year after year and declaring how good God was. And he's saying, before the eyes of my people, I will do things never done before in any nation in the world. More than the plagues, more than the splitting of the Red Sea. God is making a promise here to Moses, and he's saying, I've got something more for you as you continue to walk with me. Look at these wonders that he's declaring that have never been done before in any nation in all the world. In verse, or the verse continues, the people you live among will see how awesome is the work that the Lord will do. He is taking his firstborn son, and now after Egypt, he is going to showcase his power through his firstborn son. Well, how special is it when God the Father chooses to display the fullness of his might, his outstretched arm, his name, and his power through his people? That's why they were put there in the first place. It moves on in the next verse in verse 11 to say, obey what I command you today. Look, I want to tell you, church, that it is not a complex thing to understand what you must do next. <laughs> The Lord says, do what I told you to do. Like any good father, he's saying, I've already given you the instruction. Now it is incumbent upon you to use my strength and do exactly what I said. You don't need to help me. I'm the father. I'm telling you what to do. And as you do it, you will be able to advance in the kingdom that I have for you. I like the simple nature of the word. What's God's will for my life? Obey what I said. Okay, got it. <laughs> What it continues with is that after this obedience to his commands, the Lord promises something. He says, I will drive out. Look, God's commitment of continued deliverance, continued salvation, continue of the building of his kingdom is made as a promise to his children. But it will require something of his children. You guys want to see that? Look, skip down to verse 24. Exodus 34, 24. Now, because most of you in this room, I know we have visitors here today, but most of you in this room, if you're a part of our normal family, we're, we're trying to raise up people who are scholarly in the word as well as being anointed and can walk in his presence. You know that when God says, I will do something, how is he going to do that? He often puts it in your hand to then do. He's saying, I will drive them out. And then the entire next generation is Joshua actually trying to drive them out. This is God saying, I'm promising this to you. And you have a responsibility to walk in faith, to do what I have just said. I've already called the end from the beginning. I've already called it into existence because I've spoken it. Now it's your turn. Now it's your part in this. Look at what Exodus 34, 24 says. I will drive out nations before you and I will enlarge your territory and no one will covet your land when you go up three times each year to appear before the Lord your God. Now see that we're catching a, a small part of the conversation here because God is instructing Moses all the way through this. Again, we are seeing the promise of God to drive out the wicked nations that are occupying the land. Everybody say the land. The land. God actually has a people in a specific land and he has a specific plan and that's been since the beginning and he's promising that here. He continues and he promises that he will continue to enlarge their territory. This entire conversation that God is having with Moses, he's giving them, he's giving him instruction. He's giving him promises. He's giving him an ongoing conversation that he's having while he's on the mountain, while God is reinscribing the tablets with his very own hand. He's, Moses is receiving instructions about the feasts. The regalia feast, how you're supposed to walk in righteousness, what the Sabbath is supposed to be out, what sacrifices are supposed to be made. And God is saying, if the people are going to obey, Moses, teach them to obey. Teach the people to trust in God's ability, in God's plan, more than their own thoughts, more than their own ability, than what they have, they will be given, will be and, and included an, an increase. Everybody say increase. Increase. That if they're faithful at doing what God said, there will be increase. Everybody say increase. Increase. Now turn with us to Isaiah chapter 54. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 54. So as you're turning, look, to put this together a little bit. 
In Exodus 34.10, didn't God declare that he would drive out these nations? It's incumbent on us to obey what he said, but that he would drive out these nations. Then in verse 24, he says again, I will drive out nations before you and enlarge your territory. No one will cover your land when you go up three times a year. That seems like a, an obedience to his command is required for his strength to be displayed in driving out those nations and enlarging. Yeah. Because they're acting in obedience to go to the regalia feast back to Jerusalem three times a year. Well, there's so many, many other things attached to that. But like we said earlier, it is our requirement to obey his commands. And here when we get to Isaiah 54, we're going to see exactly what our responsibility is. Everyone say, my responsibility. My responsibility. So Isaiah 54, verse 2. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Look, here in Isaiah 54, the Lord is speaking to Israel, speaking to Zion, who is like a barren woman, a desolate woman. And the Lord is calling her to shout. He's telling her to rejoice because he is going to bring her an increase of offspring. From her will come this offspring because he is going to be her husband. He is going to be the one who weds her, cuts a covenant with her, produces life spring, an offspring from her. He is telling her to prepare for this increase by first enlarging the place of your tent. Well, we had some children multiply in this house. And we've had to enlarge in the places of our tents to accommodate these children. He's telling her, look, make room for what I'm about to increase in your life. Make room because the ever-increasing nature of a covenant is going to bear fruit here. Do you remember weeks ago when we said, or we quoted from Exodus when Moses says, look, it was not the Lord's will to destroy you. Yeah. That's also what's being echoed here in Isaiah 54. It has always been his will to give you the kingdom and increase that kingdom within you. Yeah, we are not just making a ploy for everyone to go out and sell the current house that you're in and get a larger house. That's not at all what we're talking about here. This is the promise that God is making to his people and saying, I have things for you. My kingdom is increasing and I need you to enlarge the place of your tent before it seems like it's necessary. Yeah. Before you're able to see some of the fruitfulness and some of the produce, I need you to start doing this because of what I desire to do in your life. Because you can have a whole bigger house, but if you stay the same small life that you are, that bigger house is just going to accent all the wrong yeah, parts of your life. That's true. If you are enlarging the area and the place of your tent, then you are going to be in an increasing manner, which is the way that the kingdom of God operates. Amen. See, what God did is he started with a man. He started with a man named Abraham. And the faith of that man was constantly increasing. Then he had a promised son at about 100 years old, Isaac. Then Isaac had twins, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob, the man who becomes and is renamed to Israel, is the one who ends up having 12 sons, who become the 12 tribes. It starts with a man who has difficulty having children. Then it goes to a man who is able to have children. And then it goes to a man with exponential growth and is able to begin the birth of a nation. See, you're Amen. seeing that God is ever increasing his design, yeah. his desires that you increase through each and every subsequent generation. Amen. In case you want to see this, because I know you do. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Man, staying in Isaiah a little bit today. Isaiah chapter 9. Now, I do not want you to slip into a uh, December mentality when we start reading this. This is not, everybody say not. Not. This is not a Christmas verse. Isaiah 9 and verse 6. Say there when you're there. there. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. 
See, y'all are already starting to sing jingle bells in your head. I'm telling you, this is not, not. about Christmas. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Shalom, the Prince of Peace. Listen to this in verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. No end. That's not saying just that the government will have no end. It is saying that the increase of the government will have no end and of his peace. On the throne of... David. On the throne of David. This is not Norway. I'm, try, I'm trying to rattle through and not pick nations of people in the room, and that's hard to do. So I'm, this, this is not Nigeria. This is not the Philippines. This is not Colombia. This is not Honduras. This is the king of David. This is King David. Amen over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. See, this is not just a child that's being born. It's a son, birthed of the heavens and of a father who never fails to cause his kingdom to increase. The kingdom of God is always increasing. The government is going to rest upon his shoulders. Obviously, this is a metaphor, right? Obviously, this is trying to understand something. But think about it for a second. A man, the Christ, the Messiah is standing there, and upon his shoulders will be the entirety of the government of God. And what happens from there is that if it's ever increasing, it is always building and increasing as it is resting upon his shoulders, See, the increase of his government, the increase of his peace, of his shalom, there will be no end. See, this sounds just like the writings in the book of Daniel. When you consider Daniel and the writings, he was explaining the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar. He describes a rock that was cut out but not cut out by human hands. And the rock comes to the earth and it destroys the statue of what? Of the kingdoms of the earth. This kingdom that is cut out from the heavens comes and it destroys the kingdoms of the earth. And what happens is that rock becomes a mountain that then fills the whole world. See, it's ever increasing wherever the kingdom of God starts. Whatever you think is just in seed form, it's going to continually increase. What does that mean for us today, church? If the kingdom is always increasing, then what must that mean for us? We must be ever increasing in what this is. Here, Isaiah is reminding us. Come on, Lincoln, get it. Isaiah is reminding us that like with Abraham, God makes an eternal covenant also with David. And it is his throne that will reign over his kingdom. We're, gonna talk, we're talking about Isaiah 54 to enlarge the place of your tent. This kingdom is ever enlarging, and what God wants us to do is to be ever increasing. We must enlarge the place of where we are, ever increasing. And by the way, this, this passage in verse 7 says the zeal of the Lord will, of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Yahweh Sabaoth, the God of the armies of the heavens. This zeal, this jealousy from our God is going to accomplish what he intends. The zeal, the white hot passion that God has is for his kingdom to be ever increasing. Can somebody say amen? amen. Are you guys getting the picture that it's ever increasing on the shoulders of one man and then it grows? Look, beginning in the 25th year of the Babylonian exile, the same exile that the book of Jeremiah is centered on. Ezekiel begins to have a supernatural vision about the rebuilding of the temple of God. We want you to pay close attention to the description of an important facet of the temple that's mentioned here in Ezekiel 41. So everybody turn with me to Ezekiel 41. Say there when you are there. Actually say increase whenever you get there. Ezekiel 41, verse 7. The side rooms all around the temple were wider at each successive level. The structure surrounding the temple was built in ascending stages. 
so that the rooms widened as one went upward. It's like a government being set on shoulders and ever increasing that has no end. A stairway went up from the lowest floor to the top floor through the middle floor. Very clearly seen. The side rooms were wider at each successful level. This means that the building became higher, but simultaneously becoming wider as it ascended. In light of Isaiah 9-7, the very center, the seat, the throne of the government of God is, of course, established and set within his temple. And the government that is upon his shoulders will ever be increasing from that center, that throne in the temple. The capacity of the temple is ever increasing, as we see here in Ezekiel 41. The command in Isaiah to enlarge the place of your tent is designed to form the hearts of the children of God. We are an ever-increasing kingdom. And it is our responsibility that we display ever-increasing capacity within that kingdom. See, this is designed not just for you, but this is designed for you to get it in your heart so you can build it into the generations. This is the way that it must be. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 17 so we can see how God's people were doing this. Joshua 17. And we're going to begin in verse 14. Somebody say increasing when you get there. It says this, the people of Joseph said to Joshua, why have you given us only one allotment and only one portion for an inheritance? We are a numerous people. I mean, we're increasing in our capacity here and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. Joshua answers them and he says, if you're so numerous and if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, go up into the forest and clear land for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and Rephites. Church, look at the fruitfulness of God's people. As Joshua is assigning allotments, he's assigning golden corrals here to the people. Joseph's descendants are fearful that they won't have enough space to handle their abundant fruitfulness. (laughs) It's almost like, now we're not just saying more stuff. We're not not saying that they needed to go get uh, storage units for all the stuff that they were acquiring, but the actual fruitfulness of their life. See, The issue with fruitfulness is sometimes we have to go back and remember how good the Lord is. We can, we have to remember because sometimes fruitfulness in our lives causes the blindness of what should be done. It causes us to look at an an inheritance and not see an inheritance, but see an entitlement to something and to see that we want something now done for us. We've achieved a certain level and someone else should be doing something for us without us having to work for it, without us having to fight for it, without us having to be ever increasing. See, what God is asking of them and what they should be doing is to enlarge the place of their tents. Hey, since you're fruitful now, You go out and clear more land for yourself. Go enlarge the territory that you have. Enlarge the place of your tent. Your allotment, church, is the beginning. Everybody say the beginning. Beginning. Your allotment is the beginning of what God has given you. It should be the minimum of what you get to have. He's given you something, and now, since you are part of an ever-increasing kingdom, it is your part of your capacity to continue to increase so that you continue to grow, so that you can continue to be ever-fruitful. That means that your allotment, the place of your tents, should be ever-increasing. See, we're going to go on, and let's take a look at verse 17 to see how this concludes. Amen. You guys tracking with us? Can you relate to the, the, the sentiment that's being displayed here? Lord, I need more. You do have more. Do more with it. Verse 17. But Joshua said to the tribes of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, you are numerous and very powerful. You will have not only one allotment, but the forested hill country as well. Clear it, and its farthest limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites have chariots fitted with iron, and though they are strong, get this, church, you can drive them out. What was promised that we read earlier in Exodus is that the Lord said that he would drive them out. 
but it also is contingent upon our obedience to step forward in faith, and through us, the Lord will drive them out. Look, Joshua acknowledges both their fruitfulness. He said, you are numerous. And he also acknowledges their responsibility to clear the land and take it to its furthest limits. Joshua is also acknowledging the strength of the enemy. But just like God spoke to Moses in Exodus 34, we serve a God whose intention is through our obedience to drive out every, everybody say every, every, every enemy that's before us. This is how we enlarge the place of our tent. Come on, church. Let's go back to Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54, 2. Let's recap what we've just done. Isaiah 54, 2 says this, enlarge the place of your tent. Why do you do that? Because the kingdom is ever increasing. How do you do that? You are ever increasing in your capacity, in your fruitfulness, as you enlarge the place of your tent. Look at the next phrase there. It says, stretch your tent curtains wide. See, when you enlarge the place of your tent, you know ahead of time how difficult that's going to be. Can anybody uh, already anticipate what that kind of a call is like? There's difficulties that are there, the sacrifices that are needed, the battles that have to be fought. You're reflecting on the ever-increasing ways of the kingdom of God, so you enlarge the place of your tent. But when you need to stretch out, everybody stretch out just a little bit. Watch your neighbor. Be careful. When you can start to stretch out. Oh, now, y'all are liking that too much. Uh-huh. Now wake up. See, you didn't realize how much you needed to stretch out until you stretched out. But what happens when you start stretching? One is a little bit, oh, man, I, oh, I'm feeling better now. Oh, I got to wake up in the morning and uh, I got to stretch. But what happens when you start stretching beyond what your limits are? Oh, oh I don't like that part. I, I don't like We're going to talk about something else besides that, the fact that what God is saying is stretch your tent curtains wide. Wider than what you think. How far do you stretch? You stretch until it feels comfortable to you. But what God is always calling for us to do is stretch beyond that level so that we can actually increase. We go beyond sometimes what feels like is prudent, what feels like is needed. You might even have to be stretched beyond what you even think is realistic. Now, every mom in this house should have said amen to that. I cannot do this. I have one child and I must do this. And then you have two and you're like, well, I have to stretch out and have more capacity. And then you have three or more and you're like, yeah, I got this. This is no problem. Why are moms better moms with more kids? Because you've had to stretch out. You've had to reach out. You've had to do what God has said and it's actually increased your fruitfulness. It's increased something in your life. See, that's what multiplying ministries is doing in this house right now. Multiplying ministries is stretching our church and it's doing it in spades. It's yeah. doing it like overwhelming. Everybody's, I can look it in your eyes. Y'all come into a training class on a Friday night and you're like, we're here. How's your day? Uh, Just praying in tongues. Praise God, it was great. <laughs> you're having to stretch just to get the smile on your face. God is trying to enlarge the place of your tent and stretch the curtains, and not just a little bit, but he's trying to stretch it out and give a wider perspective on what he can do through you. Man, an ever-increasing number of kids, that'll stretch your resources in a certain way. If you're going to enlarge, then the very next step in the process is you have to stretch your tent curtains wide. You have to do this. Everybody look at me. This is the God-ordained process for you to yes. increase. Man, I like the idea of enlarging my tent. That's great. Enlarging the place of my tent. I don't like it as much when I have to realize that it means by necessity that I must stretch and do more than what I can do right now. Let's see how this plays out. Let's begin in the book of Exodus chapter 7. Say stretch out when you get there. Stretch out. Verse 3 of chapter 7. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when? 
I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses is being made like God to Pharaoh and Aaron, like the prophet of Moses. God is describing how he will bring forth his firstborn son. Throughout the Torah and the entirety of the Tanakh, this phrase with a mighty hand and outstretched arm is used repeatedly as a moniker of how God decimates his enemies while simultaneously liberating his sons. Do you see that over and over again? Well, his nature and his character has never changed. He still does that. Here, God is saying that the Egyptians will know that he is God when he stretches out his hand against them. But I want you to catch a very important point here. It's in the face of opposition when this is occurring. Meaning that where there are enemies of God, he displays his power and superiority by stretching out his hand as we stretch out our hand. Remember, our obedience is our participation in the ever-increasing nature. Y'all getting that? You realize that stretching requires opposition. It requires a force to be pulling against you to cause that stretching to take place. Let's show you a slide. We want to summarize this in a slide for you, the idea of stretching out your hand. Let's take a look at the plagues of what brought Israel out of Egypt. The first three plagues of water being turned to blood, frogs and gnats. You can see the references there. By the way, the first three plagues, the one that performed the signs was Aaron. The Bible clearly states that it was Aaron. And what did God ask for Aaron to do? God said, Aaron, stretch out your hand. Aaron, stretch out your staff. And that is the initiation of what caused God to then stretch out his hand and meet that from the heavens and cause something to happen. In that, in the first three plagues, it was about all of the people, both the Israelites and the Egyptians. And it challenged their comfort. Oh, oh, you mean to be stretched? We got to start out with having our comfort challenged. You mean like everybody, God's people and not God's people got to be challenged in the area of having your comfort stretched out? Yes, that's exactly what we're saying. The next three plagues, it's not clear who is the actual one performing it. So we're just going to say it's the hand of God that does it. The plagues of flies, livestock, and boils. Then it challenged the possessions of the Egyptians. But at this point, in plagues 4, 5, and 6, God's people were distinct. They were not going through the same suffering that the Egyptians were. Look at plagues 7, 8, and 9. It's hail, locusts, and darkness. These are clearly performed by Moses. And what did the Lord tell Moses? Moses, stretch out your hand. And what happens? God then stretches out his hand and begins to work. These plagues were very challenging the very food sources. They were ramping up in escalation. And then they began to challenge and put them on the doorstep of challenging their very life. Has anybody ever been stretched to the point that you just didn't think you can handle it anymore? Oh, yeah. Did you fear for your own life being stretched too far? See, that is the escalation that's going on in here, and God is setting a model. The Word of God gives us the template of how he treated his firstborn son. That's what Exodus 4 calls Israel. It's God's firstborn son, and we're seeing this until God stretches out his hand and brings both judgment against those who would not believe and salvation to those who were under the blood on the doorpost. God was bringing salvation and punishment at the same time. Throughout the word of God, in the face of opposition, as God stretches out his hand to display his power and his authority, he expects his sons, those who are ever increasing along with the kingdom, ever increasing in their capacity, in their fruitfulness, to stretch out their hands to display ever increasing authority and power. That's what God wants for you and for me today, is that we stretch out. He speaks and we stretch out our hand because we are reflecting him stretching out his hand and it causes us to grow in our authority. It causes us to grow in our power and our trust in him. Do you want to see this increase in the word and also in your life as well? 
All right, turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. And let's see how the walking, breathing, living, speaking word of God displays this ever-increasing authority and power. Matthew 12, verse 11. He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored. Just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. See, they had first set this up as a trap for Jesus so that charges could be issued against him. But now, now they're looking to plot to kill him. Jesus walked in ever-increasing authority and power from the Father at all times. And he takes this opportunity in the face of opposition to display that ever-increasing authority and power. By first referring to what you should be familiar with now is Deuteronomy 22. He is following that command of do not ignore it. When you see a sheep that has fallen to a pit, you help the man up. That's what Deuteronomy 22 says. Then he uses a how much more or a calve homer to prove how much more this is true for a man. So he heals the man with a shriveled hand by saying what again? Stretch out your hand. He was acting upon the authority from his father to tell this man to do so. And as the man stretched out his hand, the father in heaven stretched out his to heal it, make it whole and just as sound as the other. And the result was greater opposition. You ever been in that position where you have been obedient to what the Father said, supernatural events occur, and now there is even more hellacious opposition against you? Yeah. Yeah. And your first thought, I don't have to ask, I know it's true. Your first thought is, what did I do wrong? No, it's because you did what was right. Greater opposition comes against the supernatural authority and power of God. This is what it looks like to increase in authority. What it looks like to increase in power. And it always will incite more opposition as a result. Come on, let's take a look at one more passage about more opposition. I mean, I know we all feel very familiar with this already. But let's turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 and verse 27. It says this, Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together. Now, because we're not in that day and time, then we kind of miss this just a little bit. These are two enemies of each other, Herod and Pilate. They had all kind of things where they did not like each other, but now they're meeting together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. Why does it hurt so much to stretch out? Why does it hurt so much when this happens? One of the reasons is because there's so much opposition that begins to pull on you. And, but you're supposed to be stretching to increase your authority and the power that you're walking in. These apostles had healed a man at a gate called Beautiful in Acts chapter 3. They'd been interrogated and threatened by the religious leaders of their day. The text is in the middle of these unschooled, ordinary men crying out to God in a group prayer meeting so that God would move on their behalf. Look at verse 28. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Hey, Lord, we were already in trouble. Uh, we've already been threatened. But what we want to do is learn how to stretch out more. That's the kind of attitude that we need to have. Hey, by the way, God, are you listening to these threats? Are you hearing these threats? Consider them. But what we're asking you to do is not take away the opposition. What we're asking you to do is to stand here and help us to stretch out and be more bold with what we say, not less bold. We want to go further. Look at verse 30. 
stretch out your hand, God, to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. See, there it is. Lord, you stretch out your hand like you've always done so that we can do more. Lord, you heal. Bring the signs. Bring the wonders. Bring the miracles. Lord, but help us to stretch out our hands by you stretching out your hands. And God did. Look at verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. When God's hand stretches out, the whole building that they're in starts to shake. And by the way, it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. You do realize this is the same group who was already filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 2. We're now in Acts chapter 4, and the same people, you know what's happening? They're getting filled with the Spirit again. Somebody say again. Again. They're getting filled with the Spirit again, and it's causing them to speak the word of God boldly. In the face of the opposition of the entire leaders of the day, God's power and superiority was on display through these common fishermen because they learned to stretch out their hands and their lives to an ever-increasing realm of authority and power that they were walking in. Now, we're going to go back to Isaiah 54, and we are 40 minutes in. We have some incredible things that we have yet for you, and you're going to want to make sure that we connect with this in Isaiah 54 and verse 2. All right. You guys there? Have you turned your Bibles to Isaiah 54? Increase. Isaiah 54, 2. Let's read it again. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. Look, do not hold back. We live in a world that only knows to hold back. I mean, you got to keep something in reserve, man. You can't put it all on the line. You're a little bit too intense for God. No, no. There is a built-in selfishness in our culture, in just mankind's nature when it comes down to it. Selfishness of our desires, our dreams, our methodologies, our very plans to gain what we see as success. How about, let's, let's talk about the American dream. We're surrounded by it, inundated. The American dream is built upon the principle of holding back. Reserve your wealth. Reserve and protect your health for your latter golden years. Then you will have the freedom to enjoy long life. Eat the fruits of your self-gained inheritance. You know what we say to that? Hell no. That's the American dream, but that is not God's will. The ever-increasing kingdom of God is not built according to the so-called wisdom of this world. Which James 3 tells us is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. God is speaking through Isaiah and declares, do not hold back. Don't hold back in giving. Don't hold back in sacrificing. Don't hold back in obeying and advancing the kingdom. Do not hold back as you enlarge the place of your tent. The very thing that will cause you to increase in your capacity, increase in your fruitfulness. Do not hold back as you stretch out. That is the very thing that will cause you to increase in your authority and power. What we are shouting this morning and want you to clearly understand is that we are called from Isaiah 54 to do not hold back. Come on, say that with us. Do not hold back. See, that's the answer. That's the key that's supposed to unlock the rest of what God is wanting to do in us. The key is do not hold back. There's a problem though. See, when you're afraid that you're going to fail ahead of time, you hold back. See, when you're convinced and, and walking in despair that you can't do what God is wanting you to do, that you can't become the type of person that he's calling you to. That despair causes you to hold back. When you are, are, are getting offended, when you, get, when you begin to hold back, 
when you make your difficulties in your life about someone else, about the people, about the circumstances, about the reasons that are not just found in your own heart, you hold back. Think about the parable of the, of the talents in Matthew 25. What was the problem with the one who had the singular talent? He held back because he was afraid of who the master was. In Acts 24, Paul is speaking. He's speaking about righteousness and, and, and self-control and the judgment that is to come. And he's speaking with Felix, a leader. And Felix gets afraid and so he holds back and misses the opportunity to enter into the kingdom. The rich young ruler in, in uh, uh, Luke 18 Another example, think about King Jehoash of Israel in 2 Kings verse, uh, chapter 13, where he says, uh, Elisha is talking to him to, to beat the arrows, to strike the arrows on the ground. What happened? That king held back. You could do this over and over and over in the word because it's built into us to want to hold back. So what is God saying to us? He's saying you're going to have to enlarge the place of your tent. You're going to have to stretch out. And you can't hold back while you're doing Amen. it. You have to go. You have to go all out. Why are you so passionate? Because you can't hold back. And I can't hold back. That's not what advances the kingdom of God. The ever increasing kingdom. Come on. Now we're going to demonstrate to you some men who learned and who exemplify and typify this idea and this attitude of do not hold back. Men who were ever increasing in their sacrifice for God himself so that they would never hold back. Not on day one and not on day one million. They continue. Let's all turn to Genesis 22 and learn how to do not hold back. Say do not hold back whenever you get there. We're going to read this from the ESV. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Seeing that you have not withheld, you did not hold back your son, your only son from me. Look, Abraham is well over 100 years old here. He has enlarged the place of his tent many times over. He has stretched out an ever-increasing capacity and fruitfulness. The Lord has cut eternal covenants with him, blessed him, led him, and helped him. And now, Abraham is in a place where he cannot hold back. He will not hold back. The depth of his sacrifice must be ever increasing as the kingdom that has come upon him is increasing. It was in this moment that the heavenly father says, now I know that you fear God. Abraham is demonstrating in sacrifice and obedience to the father's command of do not hold back. This is the actual display that we fear the Lord and none other. Not our words. It's not about our intentions or our pledges of sacrifice. It is about our actionable obedience to not hold back the sacrifice. The very one that God is requiring of us in the moment. Did God require from Abraham before this point sacrifice? Yes. And at this moment, it's an ever-increasing sacrifice. His one and his only son. He desires to see our ever-increasing sacrifice that stays in step with his ever-increasing kingdom that he wants to display in us. Church, are you getting this? Abraham is a man who's already had an eternal covenant made with God. He's reminded him of it, but it's now when he has the attitude of do not hold back. By the way, that's the exact same phrase in the Hebrew that's found in Isaiah 54. It's the exact same underlying words in the Hebrew that says he did not hold back. He did not withhold that which God was requiring of him as a sacrifice. And now God says, now I know that you fear me. Now I know how serious you are. He had already had an eternal covenant with God. 
and still had to be required to have a do not hold back kind of attitude. That's an incredible thought for us today here in this church. Man, what kind of attitude are we supposed to have? We see Abraham displaying it in an, in an incredible, in an epic kind of way. Through actionable obedience, he, he does this. But let's, let's take a quick run through the entirety of the word to understand this do not hold back kind of command. In Exodus 23, it inclines the hearts of men everywhere. Do not hold back justice or righteousness and mercy for the poor, for the needy, for the weak, for the foreigner. Do not hold back what God has given you. Oh, it gets even better, church. Are you alive this morning? Yeah. Well, Jeremiah 26, 2 requires men of God the same attitude of do not hold back. Do not omit a single word of what God is telling you to say to the people. In 1 Chronicles 21, the righteous king David teaches righteous men everywhere and for all time. Do not hold back. Always pay full price because the house of the Lord, the work of the Lord, the word of the Lord is always worth the ever increasing sacrifice. Do not hold back. Man, Jesus demonstrates a perfect do not hold back life in John 12. What shall then I pray? Save me from this hour? No, I will not hold back. This is why I was sent here for this very hour. Do not hold back so that the Father's name may be glorified. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it calls the fathers around us and of the fathers of this house. Do not hold back in your rejoicing. Isn't that good to know that you should not hold back even as you rejoice in what God has done? Do not hold back as you pray. Do not hold back in your gratitude. Do not hold back or you will end up quenching the very spirit of God. That's what 1 Thessalonians 5 says. It says do not hold back. Revelation 12, 11, it is the epitome of do not hold back. Those who overcome don't even hold back the ownership of their very lives. Man, they demonstrated to his fullest. We do not hold back because we are called to be ever increasing. Ever increasing in the kingdom. The capacity to be like him. Increasing in the fruitfulness from that kingdom. The demonstration of his authority and power. The ever increasing levels of sacrifice. But there's something more that we want you to see this morning. We want to put a slide on the screen for you to help you to understand what Isaiah 54, 2 is all about. You're supposed to enlarge the place of your tent. You're supposed to stretch your curtains wide, even in the face of opposition, so that you can increase in your authority and power. You cannot hold back. Do not hold back. And why? Because you have to lengthen your cords. You have to strengthen your stakes. The unparalleled truth in this verse of Isaiah 54 is that do not hold back must be at the center of who you are. Not in any way. You can't hold back. Not ever. Not for a moment when God has spoken. The unparalleled pivot point here is to get to the remainder of Isaiah 54 too. When you do not hold back, you are then able to lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Look at what this parallels to. When you're trying to stretch wide, everybody say stretch. When you're trying to stretch your curtains wide, what must you do to stretch? If you're going to stretch out and not retract back, you have to stretch out and lengthen the cords so that you can stay ever-growing, ever-increasing. In Joshua 24 and verse 31, listen to what it says. It says this, Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. Church, when you are centered in who you are, like at the unparalleled part of the truth of your life that you do not hold back, then you're able to lengthen your cord. Joshua here does something that's incredible. It's amazing. It is legendary. He lengthens the cords of his life as he's lengthening the cords because he did not hold back. His leadership extends beyond his days. 
When I say to lengthen the cord or that you lengthen your life, some of you may be thinking about a health way. How can I extend my life? What I'm talking about is an extension of your life that goes beyond your days on the planet. That's what Joshua does here. Israel did well all the days of Joshua's life and everyone that Joshua had lengthened his cords into, the elders, the leaders who saw how he led and they became part of it because his cords were lengthened and they were able to extend Joshua's reign beyond Joshua's life. That's an incredible thought and an incredible way for us to extend this. The people of God did well in Joshua's day and in the elders who he had stretched into. Church, when you stretch out your hand, Everybody stretch out your hand. We ask you to stretch out your hand when we're praying for kids, don't we? What happens when you start to not only stretch out your hands, but stretch out your life? I mean, think of like Elijah or Elisha laying on two se- in two separate incidences. They stretched out their life onto the life of a boy, and the boy came back and was actually resurrected in two separate instances, in two separate generations. This stretching out and not contracting back, it requires something. Can you put the slide up again for me? When you're stretching your curtains wide, this is like God stretching out the heavens. Psalm 104 says that it's just the same. Same words in the Hebrew. The way that God stretched out the heavens is the way that we are supposed to stretch their curtains wide. Now these curtains, this, you should be thinking about the tabernacle. What kind of curtains were in the tabernacle? They were, they were some of linen, of our deeds. There were some of goat hair, uh, an entire curtain made of goat hair that should remind of the, of, the, of the sin and the need for a sin offering. Then they had ram's hide that was dyed red, the need for perpetual redemption by God. And then they had some type of animal that we really don't know what it is. And it was the hides that were inscribed with the very angelic representations of God's authority, of his power, and of the life that he was stretching into his people. Church, how do you stretch out? You have to lengthen your cords. How do you lengthen your cords? You don't hold back. This is what God is displaying for us today. Holding on. Man, you want to talk about lengthening your cords. What does that mean? That means there's some tension on the line. That means there's, there's got to be, you're holding and you're stretching and you're lengthening what's going on. Holding on to what God has said. Has God said anything to anybody in this house? Yeah. Has he made promises to you and to your children and to your generations? Yeah. Well, you've got to hold on to that and you've got to lengthen and handle the tension of where you are right now. That's a tough thing to do is to hold on to that tension, to stretch out and say, I can hold on with, sure, with a surety of what God has said, but I can also see where I am today. And I know that he calls the things that is not as though they have already come into existence. He's told it to me so I can hold on to it. When I lengthen this, I can handle the tension between where I am and where I need to go. And the tension between that is found in the attitude of do not hold back. That's how we advance the kingdom. That's how we increase our life, and that's how we increase his presence in our life. Because we're staring at this chiastic structure, and you see that lengthening your cords is only available for you to do because you do not hold back. It provides the means to be under tension. Tension is required. To stretch your curtains wide. It's how they are supported. But those cords are attached to something. They're attached to stakes. To tent pegs. Tent pegs that secure the beginning of a promise. And tent pegs that secure the end and fulfillment of a promise. And in this chiastic structure. You not only are able to lengthen your cords. Because you do not hold back. You are then able to strengthen those stakes, strengthen those tent pegs. Come on, you know what it's like. You live in Texas where we have storms that blow through with 30, 40, 50 mile an hour winds. And that cheap little pop-up tent in your backyard, that gazebo that you bought from Big Lots (laughs) is about to take off like the NASA space shuttle. (laughs) And all of those little bitty, you know, 
pencil-lead thick stakes that you drove in the ground are being pulled up like new little shoots of grass. And you're running out there. You're taking a hammer, cinder blocks, uh, old weights from your gym, and you're laying it on top of every single one of those streaks stakes. You're not holding anything back. You're giving everything it takes to strengthen and deepen the security of the promises that God has made. This tent is going to stand in the face of opposition. It's not going to be moved. And this church, it's not only going to be maintained here, it's going to enlarge the place of our tent. What is our job as pastors and as leaders? We are speaking into the promises and call of God on your life. We want to see you enlarge the place of your tent. And these words are helping secure that tension between what has been spoken and what will be fulfilled. Let me read to you out of Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. What was happening is that these plantings of the Lord were called to enlarge the place of their tent, but it also required a strengthening to do so, a strengthening that comes from not holding anything back. Because look, here in Acts 9, from the day of Pentecost on, the church in Jerusalem was increasing in fruitfulness. But there was more territory to gain, more regions to enlarge the place of their tent. The call from the king of kings was to go from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. What is happening now here in Acts 9 is the result of persecution, tension on the cords that was a affecting the church in Jerusalem. They did not hold back proclaiming the gospel in Jerusalem and now scattered, they are not holding back proclaiming the gospel in the further regions from Jerusalem. Like tent pegs that secure the cords of a tent, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria were strengthened by the deep convictions of their experiences in Jerusalem firmly established in their fear of the Lord and anchored by the encouragement of his spirit. When you do not hold back, there will always be an ever-increasing inheritance for you and your generations. It's one that extends and is secure for generations well after your lifetime, and it secures the tension between what was established in the past and it will be firmly established in the future. Come on, God has an inheritance for you through the generations. We're going to turn back to Isaiah 54 and we're going to look at verse 3. This is our final scripture of the day. Basically, what we've been talking to you about is our thoughts on Isaiah 54 too. <laughs> That's what today has been, has been our thoughts about Isaiah 54 too. But we want to read to you Isaiah 54, 3. You ready for this? For you will spread out to the right and to the left. What is the result of you enlarging the place of your tent, stretching your curtains wide? Do not hold back, lengthening your cords, strengthening your stakes. What will happen is you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Listen to the way that this verse progresses. You will get to spread out. It's close to the word in Hebrew, perez. Like it's parats. It means to break forth, to have exponential growth, to spill out, to move forward. It's not just an addition. It is an exponential kind of growth. You will get to spread out to the right and to the left. When you walk through this process with the center of your being saying, do not hold back. But what happens next in the verse is amazing. It's even better. Somebody say it's better. it's better. You get to spread out in exponential growth, but your descendants will dispossess nations. You get to increase. Man, that's great. 
You get to enlarge the place of your tent and stretch out. But when you do not hold back, your descendants will dispossess nations. How is that even possible? They will get to settle, to settle down, to reside in the desolate cities. It doesn't mean that they're desolate. It means that they've driven out every enemy and they now go inhabit what the enemy left behind. See, how is that possible? They dispossess. Your generations dispossess the nations because of what you start to drive out in your generation. See, you were enlarging the place of your tent. You were displaying that we serve in an ever-increasing kingdom and your capacity continues to grow. They settle in the cities of their conquest because you drove out your enemies. You stretch wide the curtain of your tent into ever-increasing fruitfulness, into ever-increasing authority. They were able to dispossess nations because you lengthened the cords. The ever-increasing impact of your life was multiplied in the generations. It was seen. It was felt. It provided the transformation for to make them into nation-conquering descendants. They're able to settle in new lands and new cities and new works because you strengthened your stakes and increased their inheritance. And it all hinges. It's all contingent upon one unparalleled truth. And that is, do not hold back. Church, let's stand to our feet. All of what we read in Isaiah 54 2, and you see in this chiastic structure, is contingent on something. It's contingent on an ever increasing sacrifice to not hold back. You know, we merit ourselves with the sacrifices we made from the past and thereby remove the responsibilities to sacrifice today. There's expectations that we have of what our life should look like. And we're holding on to that expect expectation more than the trust-grounded obedience of laying at God's feet what we expect, trusting that he will give us what's even better, that he will lengthen the cords of our life. He will strengthen the 10 pegs of our tents. I want to invite you. I want to invite you to this altar to lay before the Lord an ever-increasing sacrifice. What are you holding on to that you need to let go of? What dream, what expectation, what fear, what faithlessness? It's getting in the way of being a pivotal moment of turning so that you can find the capacity to stretch out, so that you can find the strength to enlarge and grow what God's made you responsible for. As I pray, come get before your Father today. Allow Him to help you sacrifice in an ever-increasing manner so that we may all grow and increase as a family. Mighty God, we lay before you our hearts, minds, expectations, dreams, fears, and faithlessness. But we say, increase our faith in you. Increase our trust in you. Help us put to death what is standing in the way, what we're holding on to. And may we find from you, our Heavenly Father, the ability to do not hold back. We love you, mighty God. And we thank you for strengthening us as your sons. In Jesus' name.